The following podcast was recorded on May 6, 2021. In this episode, we discuss how the COVID-19 pandemic affected the educational experiences of Texas college students, as well as review pertinent information about vaccine distribution. We want to acknowledge that the CDC COVID-19 guidelines keep evolving, so some of the information reviewed during the recording may be out of date. We highly encourage everyone to visit the CDC website to review the latest information on the COVID-19 pandemic, prevention guidelines, and vaccines. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. Enjoy. You're listening to Latin Experts, a podcast of Latino studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Latin Experts features the voices of faculty, staff, and students, as well as friends and alumni of the Department of Mexican-American and Latina-Latino Studies, the Latino Research Institute, and the Center for Mexican-American Studies. Join us for this episode of Latin Experts. Hello, my name is Vanessa Arisuris. I'm a research associate with the Latino Research Institute at the University of Texas at Austin. I'm joined today by my colleagues from the Institute, Alice Villatoro. Hi everyone. And Marisol McDaniel. Hello. Alice is a research assistant professor and Marisol is a postdoctoral fellow at the Institute. Today, we're going to discuss how COVID-19 impacted educational experiences and outcomes among Latinx college students in Texas. Full disclosure, we are all public health researchers. My research focuses on obesity prevention, Alice's research centers around mental health care access and stigma, and Marisol's research focuses on food insecurity and the built environment. So why are we, public health researchers, talking about education? Well, I will tell you. Health is undeniably linked to education. Americans with more education live longer. They tend to get better jobs with higher income, which means they have resources for good health. That means they can more easily buy healthy foods, have more time to exercise, and pay for health services. And these are just some of the many ways that education is linked to health. So what does education look like among Latinos? And specifically, what does college education look like? The most recent data from the National Center for Education Statistics show that college enrollment for Latino undergraduate and graduate students more than doubled in the US over the past two decades. So for example, the number of Hispanic students who enrolled as an undergraduate increased from 1.4 million to 3.2 million over that time period. But despite the overall increase in enrollment, the number of Latino students graduating with a degree from a higher education institution is much lower than non-Latino white students. Only about a quarter of Latino students graduate with a degree compared to almost half of white students. Additionally, Latino and black students are less likely to continue on to their second year college than Asian and white students. And this is across public, private, four-year and two-year institutions. So this difference in college graduation rates between Latino students and non-Latino white students is what is known as an achievement gap. And the reasons for this achievement gap are 
complex. There are many reasons why Latinos are struggling to obtain a college education. Latinos are disproportionately poor, living in low-income communities where the schools aren't preparing children for college courses. As they enter adulthood, many are supporting their families and don't have the luxury to focus on schoolwork. And many are the first in their families to attempt a degree, so they don't understand how to best navigate the college system. We know that the COVID-19 pandemic has overwhelmingly affected health and financial stability of Latinos in Texas and across the US. And this is true for Latino college students as well. And if you'd like more information about how COVID-19 impacted Texas college students' health and well-being, you can check out our first episode in this series, How is COVID-19 Affecting Texas College Students and What Can We Do About It? That's episode eight of the Latin Experts podcast. And this was a shameless plug. <laughs> and a super fun listen. So, yes. go very back. Entertaining. Very entertaining. Yes. yes. <laughs> it should come as no surprise then that the COVID 19 pandemic has impacted Latino college students' educational plans and experiences. So, Marisol, let's get to the meat of the matter. Would you tell us a little bit about how the pandemic has affected Latino students' plans and experiences related to education here in Texas? Well, for Latino college students, um, change in higher education structure, especially the change from in-person to virtual learning, um, created many additional challenges for all higher education students. And we're seeing even in like other national surveys that the gap between low-income students and more affluent students, that gap is even more stark among online classes. So having the space to engage in an online class in your home, having digital access, literally not, maybe you don't even have internet access in your house, so you can't even log in for your virtual class. And as well as just kind of that, that disconnect of communication between the student and the teacher is more stark for Latino students. So when you say that communication difference between Latino students and professors is more stark, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so it's, I mean, even in the classroom, even within in-person learning, it can be difficult for students who are considered part of marginalized communities to even come up to their professor to ask them for help. Can you imagine trying to do that in the online world? Um, some people think like, oh yeah, you can talk better on online world, but then you're starting to really question what's in your email. Am I asking the right question? Second guessing yourself, that imposter syndrome coming up even more for Latino students. Yeah, I definitely understand not wanting to speak on a Zoom call. I have so many meetings per day. It's like the more I can sit back and listen, the better. So if I were a student in class, I probably wouldn't be speaking up too much either. Yeah. No, it makes sense. And just piggybacking what uh, Marisol was just talking about and another shameless plug to our existing survey that... um, (laughs) examined the well-being of Texas college students last summer. So (laughs) we at the LRI did this quick little online survey to kind of get a sense of what college students were experiencing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and see how it affected their educational plans. Because Marisol's right, we went from in-person instruction to now everything being remote. 
some college students, especially if they were like new freshmen, had to decide whether or not they were going to start their academic year or whether they were going to defer a year to kind of in hopes of getting that in-person college experience in 2021. But, you know, we seem to find that COVID not only impacted well-being and health, but it also impacted educational plans, especially for Latino students, where we see that they experienced lower GPA than expected. A lot of them had to change their graduation plans, like pushing it back, Um, or even just being in that remote space, being able to find motivation or ability to complete the coursework, because maybe you have issues with internet connectivity or you have to take care of your family members at home, it became a challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, students were reporting having to do more coursework sometimes after moving to remote classes. And then some students felt that they were receiving less support from their professors, especially female and undergraduate students. So all of these things take a toll on their educational experiences and how well they're doing. Um, And it was important for us to kind of assess that. Yeah, definitely. It probably just exacerbates the already existing achievement gap. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if some of the graduation rates for Latino students um, decline even more after last year. Um, Also, if you're thinking about just education, to get education, you also need to live. You need to be able to have somewhere to stay. You also need to have money. Um, And undergrads were were more likely to be negatively impacted financially because of the COVID pandemic. Um, Nine times more likely to report lost on-campus jobs. Um, And we think that this was because um, of of our sample, we had a lot of grad students and undergrad students. Graduate students probably had a research-oriented position or something where they can do something from home versus Mm -hmm. students may have had like library positions or somewhere where they're more front-facing to the Mm -hmm. public. And so they lost all their jobs. So this could be their work study. This could be just more debt. And that's sad. They're undergrads and and they're no longer able to fully support themselves because they lost their job. Um, In addition, 67% were living home with family and family could include uh, younger siblings. Um, So at the beginning of the pandemic, during, I guess, April, May, the end of the school year, I mean, all, all the little ones too were doing online classes. So we have college students that are helping their younger siblings navigate this online learning environment, Mm -hmm. while also they themselves trying to navigate. And can you imagine having like five or six devices, if you happen to have internet on at the same time, um, how that would feel? And, and can you imagine how many times um, they may have lost connection while while in class. Um, It'd be like you're back in dial-up days waiting for AOL to start. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, And and that's a lot of staticky noise in the background. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Get to wait 15 minutes. For all you Gen Zers. I just want to chat with my friend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We had to dial in to the internet at one point. Make sure nobody else was using the phone because then if someone was on the phone, you couldn't use the internet wow we have so progressed 
so progressed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, our struggles. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Marisol, please continue. I went off on. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, and 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 past just financial. Um, so people were were dealing with mental mental um health issues or just not feeling well, not being able to be around their friends, um, feeling isolated really, um, and. Mm. Institutions were not supporting students. Um, undergraduates were more likely to report their institution not providing sufficient emotional, mental well-being resources. And many students were not even aware if their institution provided those resources. Yeah, I think that's a real important thing to highlight, Marisol, because, you know, I think institutions tried to do their best to provide resources, but it was a dissemination of those resources that maybe didn't reach all students. And so I wasn't surprised that so many students in our survey indicated that they were just unaware of what kind of support services there were available to them. And it might not be so surprising that they were unaware given kind of the transition that they were experiencing. A lot of students, well, every student pretty much that was living on campus had to vacate the premises, right? So, yeah. you know, it could be that universities didn't even know necessarily the best way to reach some of these students. Um, again, if they don't have internet at their home, then they're not able to access information online. Um, and it's not like, uh, well, I'm not sure, but they might not have left a forwarding address, right? So things yeah. couldn't <laughs> have been mailed. <laughs> yeah. So based on the findings from the study, it appears that Undergraduate students were highly impacted uh, with regard to their educational plans, um, their motivation and ability to complete coursework, as well as their financial stability, right? Nine times more likely to lose an on-campus job. That's a, a huge statistic there. And these students were also unaware of particularly emotional, mental well-being resources that the institutions uh, were providing for them during this time. Mm -hmm. And so we know that institutions are gearing up to open back up in the fall, um, and we're trying to have as normal a fall semester as possible. So what, what do you think that these institutions should be doing um, to prepare uh, to provide more support to these students? I think that one of the things that was most alarming about our findings was that the loss of a job, a campus job. And I have to give props to the LRI first and foremost, uh, because <laughs> we did everything we could to, mm-hmm. um, to keep our students employed throughout the lockdowns. Mm-hmm. So we were, I'm so proud that we were able to keep all of our undergraduate students who work with us employed even now, like, I don't think mm-hmm. anybody lost a job. If they did, it was, it was because they were graduating and were leaving the institution, which is different scenario because it was going to happen regardless of COVID. But, right. you know, the work that they were engaging in allowed them to continue to engage in research related jobs and do it from home. But a lot of students don't have that luxury. Like Marisol mentioned, those front facing positions, like if you're at a library mm-hmm. working the front desk or if maybe you're working at a food place at the student union, those are opportunities where you might not be able to work from home because it involves being there in person. So thinking about 
you know, what sort of financial support we can provide to these students if there is another surge coming up in the fall. We don't know if there will be or won't be, but I think we should be prepared nonetheless. Unfortunately, many of these students were not eligible for the first round of stimulus checks because they were considered dependents. Mm -hmm. And so they were not getting that money in their own pockets. So, you know, schools have been crafty enough to figure out ways to financially support their students. So like NYU, for instance, they were continuing to pay their student workers through the end of the spring semester last year. St. Louis University was continuing to pay work-study students regardless of whether they worked, and they gave them, the non-work-study students, like a stipend for, you know, not being able to work on campus. And then, you know, so we, when we think about these, op- these things on how to deal with financial crises of students, um, thinking about how institutions can step in to support these students during an emergency or crisis such as COVID-19. Y- you know, I think it, it would be a good next step to have kind of in our back pocket in case there is mm-hmm. another lockdown of sorts that we need to consider. Mm-hmm. And and also I'm thinking of, I mean, in addition to the financial resources, those emotional mental well-being resources. Mm-hmm. And I just thought like a, that'd, be a, that'd be really cool if students, and I don't know if they'll be able to necessarily provide the counseling, but they can be trained on how to help other students navigate those resources. There's a job right mm-hmm. there that the university <laughs> can keep up and continue to fund during pandemics like this or any type of major event um, where students mm-hmm. need, need some emotional and mental well-being support. Certain institutions already are requiring vaccines versus other institutions are highly recommending the vaccine. So it's important for you to know what your institution is doing before you start the fall semester, because you don't want to be, you know, registering for courses, paying your paying your tuition, and then find out that you can't attend classes because you didn't get your vaccine. Um, so I think it's important that everyone double check their institution's policy Regardless of what institutions are doing, I'm of the mindset that we all should get vaccinated if we can get vaccinated. Yes, I highly agree with that. Um, Everyone should go get vaccinated and continue to follow the CDC guidelines. Definitely in that camp with you. Um, But what would you all say to people who might be hesitant about getting a vaccine? Well, I just got my vaccine two days ago. My second vaccine, the the drip, oh, the, the thank you, the <laughs> vaccine that everyone dreads, and I did as well. Um, but guess what? I dread more getting COVID nineteen and being out for more than one day. It wasn't mm-hmm. nice yesterday. I did not feel well. Um, I was a little bit. I had like a brain fog, and felt like I had maybe been coming down like a small cold. But today, mm-hmm. I feel great. So one day versus two weeks, one week of not feeling well, I think it's worth it. So that's yeah. what I said to people who are hesitant. I, I think that, um, and I, I think some people are hesitant because of the side effects. And the side effects of the vaccine are a lot less severe than the actual mm-hmm. um, COVID-19 symptoms. For sure. Marisol, mm-hmm. may I ask which vaccine did you get? And I got the dreaded Moderna and it yeah. and it only lasted one day. <laughs> Why dreaded? <laughs> because people think Moderna has has the worst side effects. Oh. 
Yeah, it's funny how you mentioned how people are are critic not criticizing but judging your Moderna <laughs> vaccine because <laughs> I feel like everyone that I know that's been vaccinated and we're like, okay, are you Team Pfizer, Team Moderna? And then it's like the Pfizer gang versus the Moderna gang. And it's just <laughs> hilarious because I don't know why, but uh, I think there is this perception that Pfizer is better. But when you look at the three vaccines that are currently available in terms of their effectiveness in preventing laboratory confirmed COVID-19, Pfizer and Moderna are pretty similar. statistically speaking, they wouldn't be statistically different from each other. So Pfizer is 95% effective versus Moderna is 94% effective. And then we have Johnson and Johnson, which we've all seen in the news because they paused distribution for a little while after there were six cases out of 7 million, I should note, uh, those people who received the Johnson and Johnson vaccine who were experiencing blood clots. And after further investigation, they found that the Johnson and Johnson, that this side effect was so rare that it was still safe to distribute this vaccine. Mm -hmm. Johnson and Johnson, unlike Moderna and Pfizer, only involve one dose. Pfizer and Moderna involve two doses. But Johnson and Johnson, the one dose is only 66.3% effective in preventing laboratory confirmed COVID-19 illness. So, you know, if you're not if you're too busy and if you're not interested in, in doing two doses or you're concerned about maybe the second dose creating more, I don't know, side effects, because typically that's what happens is that the second dose is where you might feel slightly worse side effects than the first dose, then maybe Johnson & Johnson is your thing. Just one and done. So, you know, I think, I think, I think people should consider what's best for them. I had the Pfizer vaccine and I can say that the worst symptoms I felt or side effects I felt was arm pain, just kind of sore arm for like a good three or four days. Uh Um, It kind of felt like the tetanus shot. If, if you all recall the tetanus shot, it's quite painful and you can't move your arm. Remember as a kid, I couldn't lift my arm up uh, because it was just too sore and too painful yeah, the COVID vaccine was nothing like that, but it it reminded me of the tetanus shot in a way because I remember it, it was just a little you know tight and tense, but nothing. I didn't I didn't get any chills or fever, um, and I did feel a little bit a little bit tired after the second dose, but I couldn't tell if it was because of the vaccine or because I was just so exhausted from work. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> It could be one of the two. It's so hard to tell, you know, and what you learn in public health is that correlation is not causation. So, you know, just because I got the vaccine doesn't mean that the tiredness was due to the vaccine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say that uh, the COVID-19 vaccine should be less dreaded than the tetanus shot? Is that the moral of the story? (laughs) I think so, and definitely less dreaded than the illness itself. Oh, for sure. Because you don't know. I mean, you may think that you're healthy and that you will probably beat this thing, but you don't know that for certain. So, you know, if you don't know your medical history that well, don't gamble getting COVID. You know, just get vaccinated. And like Marisol said, it only it's probably one day of being uncomfortable. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But we understand that not everyone can get vaccinated. And so it's important that as many people who can get vaccinated do get vaccinated in order for us to achieve herd immunity. Mm-hmm. And, and here in Texas, I mean, we're already at 50% of the population has received at least one dose. So we're getting there, y'all. <laughs> I think that's, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I was just looking, this is a, as of May 5th, um, according to KXAN and the Texas Department of State Health Services. I think that's awesome for Texas to have everyone that has at least one dose, 50%, but that's nowhere close to what herd immunity would be. Um, so we no. still need, so people still need to go out and get a vaccine. Yeah, and don't, just don't go and get just one dose of the Pfizer and Moderna. Go get both doses because... Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, the vaccine won't be effective. Again, if you're only interested in a one and done vaccine, then get the Johnson and Johnson. Yeah, and you know, right now supply kind of outweighs demand. There's been a little bit of a dip in the number of people going uh, to get the vaccine. So, if you were to go get it right now, like just go out the door, you know, get in your car, drive to a mm-hmm. place, they probably have you know, something for you. So while you're listening to this podcast, keep it on, uh, but get in your car and listen to us (laughs) while you go get uh, the vaccine. And then afterwards, go get a free uh, Krispy Kreme donut because they're giving out free donuts (laughs) to anyone who has the COVID vaccine. So what better reason to get vaccinated than to <laughs> one prevent illness and two mm-hmm. get yourself a nice donut. <laughs> and I think they're doing it every day. Like you can get one every day of the year, pretty much. Yeah, every day for the rest of this year. I still there have yet go, to get folks. my donut. I, I need yeah. to go. I need to go get my donut. <laughs> but um, so the moral of the story is when it comes to the vaccine, all of the approved vaccines, Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson, they're all safe. They're effective and they significantly reduce your risk of severe illness. And if you want more information about which vaccine is right for you, then we highly encourage you to go to the CDC website to read more about um, each vaccine. They'll provide you with the data in terms of um, how effective they are, what side effects are associated with each vaccine, and then they'll provide specific information about who should and shouldn't get this particular vaccine. So go ahead and do your homework before you go. And then just know, as Vanessa mentioned, there's more supply than there is demand. So you shouldn't have a a problem getting a vaccine appointment. And now everyone over the age of 16 is eligible to receive the vaccine and is absolutely free. So no excuses. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So, Let's say someone is like, they're convinced they need to go get a vaccine, not only to prevent illness for themselves, but also to prevent spreading the disease to other people who may be unable to get the vaccine. But let's say this person's super convinced, but they have a family member or a friend that is kind of on the fence. So what would be the best strategies that people could use um, to talk with friends and families about the vaccine? I think definitely sharing with them how effective they are, getting personal personal on your own experience with the vaccine, especially if you've already taken it. For example, I think if you can go with your family member to to get the vaccine. So my sister offered up her services to my aunt and said, I'll go with you. 
Uh If you're scared, I'll go with you and I'll be there with you as you get the vaccine. And my tia was like so excited about that. You know, (laughs) having the support of somebody. Because I think a lot of people are just scared. And if you're there as moral support, that's wonderful. I I can share so many stories of when I was volunteering at the COVID-19 vaccine clinic on campus. Uh I was in the observation center. So I was looking after people who had just gotten their vaccine, just double checking that no one had any adverse reactions. And Mm -hmm. I would ask people sitting down like, oh, how are you doing? Do you need any, you know, any water or whatever? And there were many people that were like, oh, no, no, no. I didn't come to get the vaccine. I already have it. I just came here for moral support. And there was one family. It was both parents and all their children were there with them. Their adult children (laughs) were there with them as moral support, you know, and I think that's great. If that helps your family member or friend get help, go with them. I think that that that's something very special. And it helps reduce the fear. Yeah, yeah. And, and just thinking of, I guess it depends on who you're talking to. If it's I mean, you can be a personal like how, how you experience a vaccine, it could be thinking of just changing how we are moving through life right now. So if you have a problem with wearing masks, you don't want, you want people to stop wearing masks, then we need to get vaccinated. Um, if you're, if you are sitting at home and tired of being at home, then one way to, for us to all be back to our quote unquote normal of or, or, or pre COVID, one major step towards that would be getting a vaccine mm-hmm. and as well as making sure that everyone around you is vaccinated. Yeah. And one thing to know is that the vaccine isn't fully effective until two weeks after the recommended dosage. So if you take the, the Pfizer and the Moderna two weeks after your second dose, then your immunity is in full bloom or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> so basically what you're saying is don't go out partying the day of yeah. to celebrate your second dose because you're no, still you're not capable ready. of spreading or catching it. Yeah, or catching it. Exactly. You're not ready yet, you know? So <laughs> think of it as, as just two more weeks. But you know what's what's great? And I don't know, well, Marisol still has a few days left what uh before she's the two weeks uh period have have um come up after her second dose it's been maybe like over two months now for me since I've got my second dose but I got to see my grandma for the first time in almost a year and a half two years oh wow uh, in person without masks and this lady is 90 years old and I felt great being able to see her without fear of getting her sick or, you know, putting her life at risk. And that's one thing the vaccine could grant you is the ability to reconnect with loved ones that you have been unable to see or hug because of the pandemic. It's quite powerful. And I have to say that, again, like what Marisol suggested, the one day of feeling uncomfortable from the vaccine is worth it compared to being sick or compared to being scared of getting your family members sick or ill. Definitely. So overall, getting vaccinated is extremely important, not only to protect your health, the health of others, and to get back to a sense of normalcy in our social lives. Getting vaccinated is also important to get back to normalcy when we when we talk about education. So going back to the beginning of our discussion, 
COVID-19 had a huge impact on Latinx college students' educational outcomes. Um, just to kind of recap a little bit, Latinx students were more likely to state that their uh, GPA was lower than expected. Their motivation and ability to complete coursework was impacted. Their graduation plans were delayed. And many students, particularly undergrads, were losing on-campus jobs. And so in order to get back to normal educational experiences, people need to get vaccinated. Not that we want to go back to the status quo of the achievement gap between Latinx students and white students, um, but by getting vaccinated, getting back to a quote-unquote normal campus experience, um, we'll be able to focus on other issues um, that contribute to the achievement gap and won't be distracted by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So moral of the story is get your vaccine, folks. Protect <laughs> yourselves, protect your loved ones. Mm -hmm. And then we can start working on closing achievement gaps. We can start working on other things that we were, that we were working on, um, but we had to kind mm -hmm. of switch gears to deal with this mm -hmm. one crisis. Um, and it's time to go back to just working on real life. Rolling up our <laughs> and, sleeves. Yes. Yeah. Rolling up our sleeves and solving these disparities that we mm -hmm. see in education and health and everything else. Definitely. So we have our work cut ahead of, uh, cut ahead for us. So um, yeah, vaccine's the first start. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks so much for uh, joining me for this discussion today about uh, Latinos and education and specifically COVID-19's impact on Latinos education. Before we go, I'd like to let everyone know that we will be sending out another survey uh, to assess the impact of COVID-19 on students' health, well-being, and educational experiences uh, later this month. It's been about a year since the COVID-19 pandemic shut everything down, and we want to know how people are faring now as compared to last summer at the beginning of the pandemic. And so be on the lookout for this survey, and we definitely hope to hear from you. Yes, please do. If you see it being shared by your institution, please complete it because this information would be so helpful to provide some evidence to institutions on some of the things that we need to do to improve the lives of undergraduate and graduate students. So please participate and we would greatly appreciate it. All right, everyone. Till next time. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank and you. And remember to get vaccinated. Yes. Bye. Get vaccinated. Then get a donut. <laughs> Bye. 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 Hi, all. This is Ashley Nava Monteros, the Communications Associate at Latino Studies. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to check out the Latino Studies Instagram page. Follow us at Latino Studies UT to keep the conversation going.